Everyone, welcome to the September 14th, 2022 uh, Alameda Health System Board of Trustees meeting. Uh, welcome. Uh, we're uh, performing this in hybrid format. Uh, and Madam Clerk, if you'll give us a roll call, please. Trustee Banerjee. Here. Uh, Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Blue. Is not here. Trustee Chapman. Here. Um, Trustee Esteem will be late today. Trustee Friedman. Here. Trustee Jensen. Here. Trustee Splendorio. Here. And uh, Trustee Fox is excused, but we do have a quorum. Thank you. Uh, next, we'll go to public comment. As a reminder, this Board of Trustees uh, welcomes public comment. We consider as a philosophy all feedback as a gift. Notes on public comments for speakers. You need to officially inform the clerk of the board prior to the meeting that you want to make a public comment. Instructions for that are publicly available. Uh, public comment can be made for specific agenda items at which the public, public comment would occur right before said specific agenda items. If it's for a non-agendized item, it would occur right now at this part of the meeting. Generally speaking, we limit the time up to three minutes per speaker. However, if there, however, if there are too many speakers, we might decrease that time to one or two minutes. It's a, it is accepted practice for us to not respond directly to public comment. Madam Clerk, is there any public comment? No, sir. Okay, thank you. With that, we'll move into the open session. Item A is a resolution pursuant to uh, Assembly Bill 361, which allows us to perform hybrid meetings. Uh, we need to approve this uh, policy every 30 days or so. We're a little bit dated, so that's why we're opening the meeting with this. Um, uh, may I entertain a motion to approve item A? Second. Um, Madam Clerk, roll call. Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Chapman. Aye. Trustee uh, Friedman. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. And Trustee Splendoria. Aye. The motion passes. Excellent. Good, so, council, we have another 30 days, correct, sir? Yes, sir. All right. With that, we'll go to item B, our standing item, our executive officer's uh, discussion. As, as everyone knows, our practice is usually to introduce an article. Um, last week, we, we lost two dear members of the AHS family under both tragic and traumatic circumstances. Uh, Mr. Jackson is going to be introducing uh, both of those staff members, uh, who they are in his CEO report to follow, and then he'll subsequently give a moment of silence to them. In anticipation of that, I want us to strive to extract what learnings we can from some such traumas which befall us. I chose the article leading in times of trauma uh, as the context around this discussion. I'll open up with some of my personal excerpts from the article, and then I'll, of course, open it up for discussion for uh, the leaders in the room. Once in a great while, tragic circumstances present us with a challenge for which we simply cannot prepare. Such events can cause unspeakable pain, not only for the people directly involved, but also for those who seek misfortune befall colleagues, friends, or even total strangers. That pain spills into the workplace. The managerial books fail us at this time, when people are searching for meaning and a reason to hope for the future. There is, however, something leaders can do in times of collective pain and confusion. By the very nature of your position, and I'm talking to all leaders throughout this organization from the ground up, 
You can help individuals and companies begin to heal by taking actions that demonstrate your own compassion, thereby unleashing a compassionate response throughout the whole organization. A leader's ability to enable a compassionate response fosters a company's capacity to heal, to learn, to adapt, and to excel. Then this article goes on to provide some, what I found to be pretty constructive guidelines and helpful in a time which is so confusing. So with that, those are some of my excerpts from this and I'll, I'll open up to any trustees who uh, read this article. I'll of course open this up to our senior leadership, including our CEO, our COO, and our CMO who are directly on the ground in many of these. So trustees, I'm just opening this up for comment. And remember, Mr. Jackson's gonna be introducing um, the, are the individuals who, who passed during his report. Trustee Jensen, please. Um, the article is very, it was very good and very helpful and very thoughtful. It, I appreciate that there were so many examples because I'm kind of a, a, visualized, a visual person and I, and I can see in my mind how those things would be effective. One of the examples though, and, and the ineffective examples as well, and one of the examples that brought to mind some of the things that have happened lately here was the example of the, um, I think it was a consulting or accounting firm when, and someone had um, died and they tried to revive this person in the waiting room and they, it, this people um, who were working at the site were unable to help this person and management kind of just kept going and went on and didn't really even talk about the whole incident and it, it, there was the article discussed how the people who had been involved and who had watched their colleague um, die were just left to keep going you know don't no, no, no even acknowledgement of the situation and so what I what I thought is how um, important it is of course to acknowledge the situation and to give time to colleagues and people when someone nearby near to them someone they work with has um, had a tragic, a tragic befall on the, that person. But I also thought about how Highland is such a family. It just made me think about the people here. First of all, when I thought of that situation, I thought of all the people here who when something like that would happen, they would, everyone would jump in and do the same thing and try and try and do whatever they could when that situation was happening before them. But then in the aftermath, what would happen here and what is happening here is that there's caring and there's support and there's acknowledgement and that's really all i wanted to say i mean i just appreciate i think the acknowledgement and the and the the ability of, of leadership here as well as people who are, are on the ground all the colleagues to be a family and acknowledge this tragedy thank you trustee johnson for those words trustee Banerjee. again what a devastating week for the staff and just so much love and care for everybody who's dealing with this um again many pointers here about the need for collective grieving and meaning making there is something about doing this collectively for the healing to happen as well but um again so many examples that we see that there are things happening in our staff's lives that happen and there are so many examples of mutual aid of people donating their time here, right here of, of, um, of helping each other through these times and I think there are so many untold stories. These have come 
one on top of the other and just too mm -hmm. much um, it's uh, throughout the system I think the it's shaken staff so much and that having time today's talk was really good the leadership chat uh, desktop chat and this grieving process will continue for a while I think there are lots of ways in which folks are stepping up for each other that are um, learning lessons too that sometimes we don't have to wait for a crisis to happen to step up for each other in these ways there are many many ways that uh, that we are seeing how we show up that we can continue doing this because there's a lots and lots of suffering and pain that's happening both within our staff family but also within our patient family to be able to see the humanity to be able to bring a culture of compassion that we'll be talking about today later but um, it's really um, being able to do this um, and deal with um, the burnout the exhaustion um, and taking care of each other so again um, so much happening and that all the support that the staff can have um, this needs to be sustained. Thanks for those words, Trustee Banerjee. Other trustees, any comments? Yes. Trustee Friedman. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> the major theme of the article was compassion and going a little deeper than just saying compassion talking with many examples of how to demonstrate that compassion it was some compellingly positive examples of compassionate leadership and management in times of trauma uh, at institutions and some shockingly uh, bad examples of places that showed no compassion and actually forced people to come into work on the dot for a four-hour meeting uh, that had nothing to do with the tragedy uh, when they were grieving. So, you know, I think that we as a board and our executive leadership uh, strives every day to manage in a compassionate way. And I think in times of trauma, it's even more important that we uh, dive as deeply into compassion as we can. Thank you for those words, Trustee Friedman. Trustee Chapman. Um, I just wanted to take a moment to thank um, the leadership team for jumping in so quickly and um, handling such a sensitive and tragic situation. It's oftentimes, um, like our trustee said, that, that sometimes leadership just overlooks it. And I really, really am have heartfelt feelings about the way, you know, you, you jumped in and dealing with it, supporting our employees. Not only is it um, impacting the loved ones of the people that passed away, but it also is impacting our staff, their friends, their family, their leaders. And it's just awesome to see that. This is the first of me kind of as a trustee, um, seeing our leadership in action and, and the support and guidance being given to all our staff. So I just really appreciate that. And I'm sorry that we have to deal with this, but um, I really applaud the way that we are. Thank you, Trustee Chapman. 
I'm probably going to call on our, our, our chief medical officer and our chief operating officer. I'll, I'll defer our chief executive officer because he's about to talk in his session. But I know I saw them boots on the ground uh, when uh, when they were here as well. So uh, Dr. Tornabene and Mr. Pransky. Sure. Uh, if, if I could reflect on one of the most profound things that I, I took away from the past week here, at Alameda Health System, and that is connection. Whether it was physical connection, I don't think I've gotten more hugs at work over the past week than perhaps in years. Um, and emails, phone calls, texts, uh, just constantly checking in with each other, and the, the healing power of that connection was profound. And it's something that, that it came, uh, it, you know, it, it was a result of just horrible and profound tragedy. And yet it's something that I hope we can continue to carry forward as um, there were a lot of really meaningful bonds that we built out of this profound tragedy. Thank you, Dr. trustees as we come to a close you know my question to myself and I if, if we can't be a healthcare organization that doesn't provide compassion uh, purpose and connection then what the heck are we doing and I submit that we are doing those things at Alameda Health System um, so with that I'll close out item A uh, sorry do I have a hand up no I'll close out um, item B and we'll go to the CEO report Mr. Jackson sir Thank you very much, Dr. Chair. Um, and I will start my CEO report and I'm gonna move to presentation mode, let's see. And while I'm, while I'm sharing this, there it is. Um, I would just offer, I was offside, I, I had a flat tire. And yesterday I went to the tire shop and one of our employees was there. Her name is Lori. She's a nurse in the emergency department. And so, you know, we were having the kind of conversations you have in the tire shop. And Lori said very clearly, how are you doing? And how are the executives doing? She said, I, I see what you're doing for everybody else, but I just want to make sure that you guys are taking care of yourselves because you really must. This is hard for everybody. And it just to the points that Felicia and Mark just made, it was really gratifying that she she saw us as, as humans. Um, 
and what we were doing for everybody else, and we will continue to do that. But I think it has this kind of, um, it is a reciprocal and a multiplier effect. And so that's who this organization is. It was, it was that way. It's not as if some, we started something new, but I just love that about AHS. And it, I think it's our secret sauce. It's our magic. So I'm, I'm gratified by that. So I will start off, um, one slide ahead of myself, but obviously that's a, it's my CEO report for the, the 14th. And I am going to start off talking about what's happened recently with these two beloved individuals, Dr. Jing Mai and Maria Tran. Um, I've got a few notes. Dr. Mai, it was um, last week that one of our residents, Dr. Mai, um, took her, her life and it happened here at Highland. And a consistent theme was, let's make sure that we put arms around her family, that we protect her family, and that we make sure that our staff who were devastated by this are, are doing okay. And um, I will tell you that the media descended and really high kudos to our PACE team led by Alice Kinner and they report up through Tangerine Brigham. They were, they were stalwart and we had some pretty intense conversations about, you know, what can we say to the media? They're, they have a deadline. They're going to go to press and we collectively decided that their deadlines are their issue. What we're going to do is take care of this family and we're going to take care of our internal medicine residents. We're going to take care of our emergency department team and our staff at large and that's everyone. That's our engineers, our housekeepers. This young lady had been with us for a very brief time, but she was beloved. People really were hit hard by this. And so that's what we've been doing for the past week plus is really just making sure that we have resources and that we're talking to each other and we're taking care of each other. You see here on the screen, the statement that was approved by her family. So we did not release any details until her father um, gave us permission to do so. so we were a little bit behind the media, but that was intentional because we wanted to make sure that we did the right thing by the family and by our, our staff here. I need to acknowledge that there were many individuals who stepped up to support the grieving family, her friends, and our staff immediately. And I'd really like to call out a few people specifically, uh, starting with Dr. Felicia Tornabene, our chief medical officer, um, and also the leadership of internal medicine, Dr. Subramanian and others, and the emergency department team led by Dr. Charlotte Wills, those folks were just extraordinary. And that is not to diminish what others did, but those were the folks who I really looked to who stepped up. Um, Mark Fratsky was on point every day, leading uh, debriefs and making sure that we were touching all the bases. And so I really saw the team working together to make sure that we were caring for everyone who needed care. And that, that continues. There are people who are still struggling and we know that. And so we're going to continue to do that work. I will close this slide simply by the last bullet. Dr. Mai was loved and admired at Alameda Health System. Our focus is on doing all we can to support Dr. Mai's family and colleagues as we grieve this tragic loss together. Maria Tran was one of our nurses at John George and she, her life was taken from her. Uh, last week, tragically. Um, I, I will not look to suppose to know what led to this and the media has again taken some liberties and that's unfortunate. 
we had an extended conversation with one of our employees over this past weekend via email because he was pretty devastated by what he was seeing in the media. And he wanted us to do something about it. And I don't blame him. And so it was a hard conversation because we had to explain that despite the fact that it was distasteful what was being said in the media, it wasn't within our power to, to prevent the media from doing what the media will do and that we were gonna put arms around our staff and make sure that they were you know, okay. Um, at the end of it, he wrote back and said, it just helps me to know that you guys care and that I can talk to you about this. So that's a very specific and anecdotal instance, but it was important to this individual that his friend, his colleague was not disparaged in the media and he was grateful that we were willing to, to have that kind of a dialogue with him. I was at John George last week and I was talking to a woman and to the point that Felicia made, she just, she looked as if she was gonna collapse. And I just kind of opened my arms and she really almost fell into my arms and just gave her a big hug. And um, that's the kind of thing that, you know, you can't, there's no textbook on what's the right thing to do, but it's just being and being present in the moment. And so I'm just so grateful to this team, Dr. Siddhartha, Patty Espiseth, who was our chief administrative officer at John George, and Rodney Delaney, who was the director of nursing services. I don't know if those folks have gone home. Um, every time I look over there, or every time I'm there, they're there. And they've been doing around the clock um, sessions with the staff and making sure that they had the resources to just try to collect themselves after what is just an unbelievably tragic event. So just a quick slide on what we've been doing, um, providing ongoing on-site support to the employees at both Highland and John George, as well as um, on-demand EAP support. And our chaplains have been rounding at all of the facilities. Um, we have reached out to both families to offer support and had some healthy exchanges with them both. And uh, we will be working with the staff to memorialize both of these individuals properly. And uh, we did have a memorial this past Sunday on site uh, for Dr. Mai and um, Dr. Tony Benet and Mark Kratzky were present and had the opportunity to interface. Oh, and Dr. Uh, Bouquet was there as well and had the opportunity to interface with the family and their, and their guests. And of course, external communication strategy, strategy will honor Dr. Mai and Maria Tran and protect the privacy of those who are grieving these tremendous losses. So with that said, I would ask for a moment of silence. Let's just take a moment and reflect on these individuals. Moving the agenda, and it feels a little tough after something as heavy as that to go to any other topic, but we must move on, but know that we will continue to hold them in our hearts and uh, support our family, their family, and, our, and everyone else. I'd like to take a moment to introduce Ms. Marilyn Boston, who is the new Vice President for Compliance. Marilyn is on the Zoom this evening, and uh, I just want to tell you a little bit about Marilyn. She is a performance-driven healthcare professional with over 25 years of relevant operational, administrative, and managerial experience 
in hospital operations, health care compliance, revenue cycle management, and physician practice management. Marilyn comes to us most recently from the Sutter Valley Medical Foundation, where she was the compliance officer and a member of the executive team. Just a few of the highlights about Marilyn. She, um, earlier in uh, her career, she was the um, interim area compliance officer and senior compliance consultant for Kaiser Modesto. And uh, in regards to her educational background, she has a, she's in the MHA program at Coastal Carolina University with an expected completion date of May of 22, um, well, actually, um, earlier this year, it's when it was expected to be complete. So Marilyn, perhaps you can update us on that. Um, but also she has a, a Bachelor of Arts in Business Administration from Ashton University and uh, certifications in healthcare privacy, as well as lean certification. So very excited to have Marilyn join the team. She's a, a team builder, a, an inclusive leader. Um, everything that I've read about her, learned about her and talked to her about convinces me of that. And we think that we are better for it. I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge Kimmy Wren, who was the interim compliance officer for you know almost a year, I think. And um, Kimmy did a fantastic job. She reversed to her prior role as the assistant uh, leader in that department. And we are stronger for that. And so my thanks to Kimmy and my hearty welcome to Marilyn. Marilyn, would you like to just say something to the board and to our audience? A tower, seventh floor, room 7726. Marilyn, um, I, I, I was on mute. Can you hear go. me? Yes, we can. Um, hi, um, I would just like to say first off that is, you know, I am so honored to be a part of this organization and this team. Um, and thanks, James, for such a, a nice introduction. Uh, today is my third day on the job. And yesterday was the first time that I had heard of, you know, um, the two tragedies that took place. And I can tell you from everything that I have heard, I am totally convinced that I made the uh, right decision to join this, this organization and this team, because how you guys have handled this, you know, you have literally walked the talk and demonstrated the things that, you know, you represent, caring, healing, teaching, you know, and serving all. And so I look forward to working with all of you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Welcome, Ms. Boston. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Thanks so much, Marilyn. And we didn't plan that. I didn't tell her I was going to ask her to do that. So I'm sorry to put you on the spot. But see, she's fast on her feet as well. <laughs> Got the motto down right there. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So I will. I didn't know I wasn't in position mode, so I will work in position mode. Um, let's see. This, I'm glad I didn't skip this. This is some fantastic news. We learned recently that our emergency um, medicine program was in the top 10 um, as it's ranked by those who are in these programs. And so if you if you know the second paragraphs, it's, it's, it's that there are three major components, current resident and recent alumni satisfaction data, reputation data, and then objective data. And so based on those criteria, our program was rated as number five in the country, which you know, I'm a competitive guy, I want to be number one, but I certainly am pleased that we made the top 10. I asked if anybody knew where we were before and no one had a specific uh, recollection of where we had ranked before. Somebody thought we were perhaps number eight previously. And so um, this is a strong program. It's consistently strong, but getting stronger. And so 
terribly proud of the work that um, has gone into our emergency medicine residency program and the fact that it is thought so highly of. And I think on the heels of what happened last week, this was kind of a shot in the arm and uh, a, a nice attaboy. So my congratulations. Dr. Tornabene, is there anything you add to it? I, I'm just huge, huge appreciation to many, many years of that it was crafted around even the, the recruitment strategy and around making sure that we have residents from that, that uh, residents that come from across the country and represent um, diversity from around the world. And they've really led the way on doing that in our graduate medical education program, and it shows. Moving on um, to our operations and program updates. And so under our sustainability pillar, I just wanted to give a, a quick update. I have shared with the trustees previously that I am on a bit of a speaking tour, if you will, because I've been taking our strategic plan to our, our colleagues um, in the community, both as well as internally, to really make sure the folks understand what our strategic plan is, to get their feedback, and to make sure that they know they have a role in this. And so we are really looking to be inclusive in this. And so this slide shows uh, where I have presented our strategic plan thus far. So I've, I've uh, covered most of the bases. The one that remains is our Board of Supervisors. And at my next presentation, um, which happens on a quarterly basis to the Board of Supervisors, I will be presenting our strategic plan. So um, the feedback has been consistently positive. Um, folks are pleased with the plan. They love the, the inclusion of Hetty um, and having that woven into everything that we do and that we are aspirational, that we do intend to be the premier safe net organization in the country and that our plan is geared towards achieving that goal. In regards to the community connection, I just wanted to update on, on our rounding. Um, and the gentleman in this picture are not um, from the UN. This is not the, uh, the Security Council from the UN. These are the <laughs> engineers at San Leandro Hospital. And uh, you know I love these guys. Um, they, they are the cream of the crop. They just do an amazing job. Um, and so I just wanted to highlight them. But as you can see, the rounding continues. Um, and I just wanted to make the, sure the trustees know that I value this rounding process greatly. I, I get more from it than those I round with, I'm quite sure. And it really does ground me in what's happening across the organization. And um, I expect that this will continue indefinitely. I, I do not intend, that's the question I often get. Well, are you gonna stop the rounding? Are you gonna you know, dial it back a little bit? And I really have no intention of doing that. Um, circumstances require that sometimes, you know, I have to defer or delay just because of the needs of the organization. but. I will continue to schedule these. And I've had some trustees join me, and I just really would open that invitation again. I think it's powerful, one, for the staff to see trustees out and about and getting to the facilities, but I think it presents the organization to the trustees in a different light as well. So grateful to those who have already come with, and I hope that others will, will take me up on that offer. I'm glad those dudes are on our team. <laughs> <laughs> It looks like they could just run out and jump on their Harleys and take off to the sunset. But, I don't want to be against those guys. I don't yeah, want to be on their team. And they are the funniest <laughs> people in the world. I mean, they look a little ominous, but they're just the sweetest guys in the world. Of course. Yeah. If I could just say, I, I appreciate that picture. And um, some of you know, I don't, Lorna was in on this too, but the, um, 
there's been a long-term labor issue at Kaiser with the engineers. And so I saw that picture and I and I heard what you said, and especially as you related to the rounding. And I think that's, I think they're related, just put it that way. Absolutely, they're here. Yeah, thank you for that. And, um, you know, speaking to people, being present with them, I, Rich Bellini's presentation today was extraordinarily powerful. I've been getting a ton of feedback on it already. And, um, and, that, and part of it is just being present and engaging people. And that really can go a long way towards dispelling um, conflict and misunderstandings, just being present. So thank you very much, Trustee Jensen. I appreciate you saying that. Moving to quality. This is terribly exciting. It's, it's not a surprise, but it's just kind of a, I love bragging about post-acute and Richard Espinosa and the work that he does. And so CMS, as you know, rates um, post-acute care facilities. And so we recently, this is the August report, and you can see that for the uh, San Leandro facility over at Fairmont, our overall score is a, a four star, four out of five. And so very pleased about that. And we have fives in quality measures and staffing. So that's just continued good news. And again, Richard and his team do a phenomenal job. And then looking at the Alameda facilities, um, you can see that the overall rating is a five. And so they have fives across the board. So this will be no surprise to anybody who's been paying attention to our SNFs, but I just can't help but brag about the post-acute care team. And, and you know, they, they are so important to everything that we do. Our ability to decompress this hospital really is driven in large part by their ability to take patients and move them across the care continuum. And Richard just does a, a phenomenal job with that. And so just kudos to him and his team. And moving to COVID update, and you can see that as of the 6th of September, we have uh, vaccinated over 5,300 people. And um, that equates to 96% of our active employees leaving 4% unvaccinated. And 97% of those who've been vaccinated have received their boosters. So again, very high completion. And, and I think that is just marvelous. And I'm grateful to the staff for stepping up and making sure that um, they are being vaccinated. I must take the opportunity to, to laud Dr. Swift uh, for her leadership. Dr. Swift has led our, our vaccine task force, which now is morphed to doing impox work. And um, you know she must have a longer day than me because she is able to do so many things from you know, the vaccination task force, being a, a clinician, and then lead, leading our heading work. She's the co-chair of our heading committee. So, you know, shout out, Dr. Minnie And with that, I'll stop talking. Um, questions? Thank you, Mr. Jackson. Certainly. Uh, trustees, sir, can you take us back to full screen? Indeed. Trustees, any questions? I'm, uh, I'm looking at the video screen looking for hands, so that they came. So they'll shout out if I don't call any. Just, again, gratitude to the team. So many things to celebrate, even in this just exemplary work by our team. Um, and excited about um, the COVID boosters are starting to again, um, right? Is it next week? That is the plan. Uh, Dr. Torbenet, could you elaborate a little bit about boosters? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that is the plan. It's that I heard there might be some delay in a shipment with Moderna, but other than that, it's we absolutely plan on launching. Wonderful. And I also heard that 
um, with the new guidelines, there'll be the max stacking like we heard before. Right. So I think that is wonderful. Yeah. wonderful it's a great opportunity. Folks who come in for this will be able to also get all of the other details. The logistics will be something else, I can, mm -hmm. I can imagine, but that is just so good for us. Dr. Tornabeni, will you remind the audience what max stacking sure. is? Yeah, sure. So max stacking is. Um, uh, we utilize that opportunity that we have with our patients um, to who are coming in for their COVID vaccines, um, perhaps to um, address their other preventive care items. So we can get them situated in terms of are there other vaccines? Is, are, do we need to order some labs for you and get you to the lab for your uh, preventive care? So it's just taking that opportunity while we have our patient with us to really address their needs for preventive uh, care. Yeah, and I would also mention that um, we're working on creating a permanent vaccination, vaccination clinic. We've been doing it in some of our conference rooms and <clears throat> I think it has become abundantly clear that we will be in the business of doing, you know, lots of vaccinations for the foreseeable future. And so to that end, uh, Mark Kratzky is working with Dr. Swift to identify a location for a, a permanent vaccination uh, location. So more to come on that, but that's just an acknowledgement of the state of the state and what's the right thing for our patients and our staff. Thank you, Mr. Jackson. Scanning the room for any trustees who have questions or comments. Seeing none, we'll close out item C, the CEO report. Thank you, Mr. Jackson. Sure. We'll now move into medical staff reports. As everyone knows, uh, uh, this board directly interacts with our medical staff leaders. We have our three medical staff leaders. I believe in the room, I, at least I, I can't see everybody. Uh, Madam Clark, all three are here. Um, let's uh, start off with the chief of staff of the uh, Alameda Health System, uh, uh, San Leandro and Highland Hospital, Dr. Irina Williams. Good evening, Dr. Williams. Good evening, and thank you for allowing me to provide my report today. Um, I will jump right into it. Um, so, um, we have not had an MEC yet. So uh, most of the times our report is um, after the MEC of the same month, but I will summarize what we um, we have so far for uh, this Board of Trustees report today. Um, I wanted to highlight that we are continuing to work um, on medical staff um, diversity, equity, inclusion efforts, and our uh, work group um, is continuing to get together and brainstorm. Um, we're trying to figure out how to best partner with HETI committee and uh, create uh, more robust bidirectional communication between medical staff and HETI on a number of uh, initiatives around um, diversity, inclusion, and equity. In addition, I wanted to share that um, our board group has been exploring. Um, it does not look like you are connected to the internet. Check your connection and try again. Sorry about that. <laughs> no um, 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 this board group has been um, if whether we can eliminate some of the race-based algorithms um, that are currently utilized for um, a number of um, aspects of patient care. Um, so we're very interested in, in exploring this opportunity um, as another way of um, providing equitable patient care. And this work group is being led by Dr. Kevin Smith. Um, uh, another... Um, 
aspect I wanted to highlight in my report um, is that medical staff has been working um, closely with the Department of Quality um, and with the quality team. And um, we've been um, working on creating a more transparent um, bidirectional communication between MEC and quality. And uh, we really appreciate these efforts. Um, of course, recent tragic events uh, have had providers and staff taken. Um, there's been multiple avenues for grief counseling and support um, provided by AHS to support providers, residents, and staff. And um, BMG and medical staff partnered on um, uh, holding an all physician forum for additional grief support. A number of um, providers have opened their homes to allow for additional meetings and gatherings. And GME office and Department of Medicine leadership have been very involved. So um, it's been an amazing example of community and um, overwhelming amount of support that um, members of HS have provided to one another. And um, uh, these tragic events, um, as I believe uh, was mentioned earlier today, have highlighted um, what an amazing group of people we have here at HS and. Um, how much support we can get from one another. Um, uh, search, uh, search committees continue to um, continue their search for a number of department chairs. Uh, we are continuing our search for the chair of the Department of Emergency Medicine, Orthopedics, and we have just launched launched a search committee for the Department of Radiology. Um, hopefully, we'll have more updates on these um, searches sooner rather than later. Um, uh, in terms of sustainability, I wanted to highlight that um, uh, there's been a number of power outages um, that have occurred recently uh, with the power outage at Highland Hospital probably having the largest impact um, uh, as well as a recent power outage at the Fairmont campus. Um, command center was promptly assembled and there were multiple debriefs around sort of lessons learned and opportunities for improvement. Um, once the power was restored. Um, what was um, amazing to see, which was not surprising at all, that a number of teams have continued providing patient care despite not having power. Patients were seen in dark exam rooms. Providers converted some of the appointments to telemedicine and ambulatory side inpatient work continued. So again, it was a great example of teamwork, collaboration, and dedication to patient care. Um, that uh, members of our medical staff and um, really all a number of members of HS have. Um, we're still continuing to see call outs related to COVID and staffing shortage continues to be a concern. Um, uh, these staffing shortages continue to impact operations um, as well as uh, patient throughput. Um, and, uh, medical staff continues to sort of um, brace for the impact and work um, on creative ways of continuing to provide patient care um, despite some of these challenges. And that concludes my report. Thanks for that report, Dr. Williams. Trustees, any questions of Dr. Williams and the AHS Hospitals Med Staff Report, Chief of Staff Med Staff Report? Looking around, Rana, help me if you see uh, Trustee Banerjee. I had a question, but it doesn't, if it's not today, but the ambulatory uh, space shortage uh, thing that we have, I mean, I think with our patients and strategic 
uh, goal and health equity primary care is one of those really key to doing the screenings and the preventive work that we need to do. So I, I just want to know what the timeline is for that and how. Yeah, yeah. Last, last week, I believe it was, we got our second look at a different vendor. So we looked at two vendors, both um, are highly skilled in what we want them to accomplish. So Dr. Tornabeni and I will be getting together probably later this week, or if not early next week, to chat about compare the two um, and then come forward to ELT probably the week after for determination of which one we may choose. So if we can get it chosen within the next couple of weeks, um, it's a three to four month engagement and most of them can start within 30 days. So we're probably looking at completion the first quarter sometime next year. And so it's reconfiguring the space that we currently have. It's, it's all that. Um, it's it's understanding our current and future volume, our markets, um, where our current clinics are, um, you know, the type of space that we need now and in the future, given what our physician marketing plan looks like. So it's very, very comprehensive. And I think it'll, you know, push us out into the next five to 10 years with our plan of ambulatory care. And it could include things like, you know what, you really need to Apologies, <laughs> confusing to now it's there. <laughs> uh, good evening, all. Uh, San Leandro Hospital's doing doing good. Uh, a lot of things moving in the moving in the right direction. Um, in the report, uh, the first point uh, mentions transfers from inpatient to Highland uh, being somewhat of an of an issue and a number of things in the works. The uh, transfer leading uh, center is still leading the charge on streamlining this process as well as the communication across sites. Uh, and there, there, uh, last month I had mentioned, uh, sorry, the month before I had mentioned, 
that uh, the third floor uh, had plans of opening up. Uh, I am very grateful to see that the third floor is now operational at San Leandro and admitting patients. Um, it, has, uh, it has been a boost uh, to, the, to the ED as well as transfers from uh, offsite. Uh, almost daily on my shifts, I'm seeing patients coming in uh, by ambulance uh, rolling up to the third floor. Uh, with transfers, majority of them being from Highland, occasionally from um, Alameda. Um, the other item on my report is uh, surgery cases. Um, the Alameda OR, uh, unfortunately, last week all, all three hospitals had a had a major uh, bump with uh, uh, ORs being shut down. Alameda uh, a little bit longer than the other sites in San Leandro, experiencing uh, about a day of uh, OR interruption. Um, but we're back to full service now. Uh, weather has been unpredictable. Uh, the other point I have on my report, the third point on there also relating to quality is ambulance patient offload times. I uh, put this on there as an area of uh, focus for us, especially as uh, an emergency physician. Uh, we were the second uh worst performing in terms of offload times of ambulances that come in here. And this is an important metric because it, uh, uh, it it impacts how many ambulances are available for 911 calls as well as transports between sites, which is another another pain point. Uh, but the hope is that uh, at least uh, on our end, we can, we can improve the time that ambulances spend outside of the emergency department to offload patients. And there's uh, multiple factors that we're working on to improve this. Uh, one of the big biggest ones that I think is already having an impact is the RN staffing, uh, which has improved significantly in comparison to what I had uh, been mentioning for months prior, almost uh, monthly. So uh, a big uh, appreciation for that. Uh, the ED uh, rarely runs into uh, being short-staffed. We've gone from four to five uh, call-outs to zero to one in the last couple of days, as I recall. Um, it's, been, it's been a huge bump. Uh, with that said, we're still struggling uh, with hiring new RNs. Um, there's a good number of travelers still staffing the ED, which is, which is better than uh, none, but we're hoping to see more uh, stable long-term RNs in the ED. Um, MD staffing, uh, this is an area that I'm particularly proud of and grateful of the San Leandro ED will be staffing an additional mid-shift uh, physician shift, uh, which will be a huge boost to patient care, but also uh, to the, to the uh, uh, quality uh, as well as wellness of the other providers who are uh, working those shifts during the midday, which can be exhausting to say the least. Um, we are continuing our work with the ED arrival and triage area uh, with uh, our partners at, at Beta. Uh, I actually had a meeting with him with Al, uh, earlier today and hoping to do education on, on, on triage uh, and having some classes uh, and sort of clarifying some of this as we are identifying some confusion among triage RNs uh, as well as some variations in, in practice. Um, so uh, looking at the metrics, uh, San Leander was the second worst on there. It, it, it looks better for August. It, it's not it's not where I'd like it to see where we were in February. Uh, so in uh, in July we were um, at about eighty six minutes uh, for offload on average. Uh, 
uh, with uh, a big um, percentage of those uh, waiting over an hour to offload patients. For uh, August, we are down to 70 minutes uh, with a with a substantially lower percentage of, of ambulances waiting to offload more than an hour. And the hope is that this will continue to improve. Uh, there's a, the next point I'd like to mention is uh, also related to quality community hospitals patient flow committee uh, kicked off August 2nd uh, and will be meeting every month. Uh, appreciate Marto, Mario for taking one of the lead roles in that. Uh, looking forward to, uh, to good things from that. And hopefully this will be related to the first item uh, I mentioned in relation to moving patients between sites where and getting them to where they need to be. Um, sustainability, uh, main lobby entrance corridor, refresh. Uh, I have news that we will be getting a, a revamp or an upgrade of, of the lobby, which is very much welcome. Uh, the uh, last item I wanted to mention is we welcome new staff to the San Leandro Hospital, Dr. Laura Lang, the chair of anesthesia and perioperative Medi medical director. Uh, Dr. Dan Choi is the Emergency Department Forty Care Ultrasound uh, Director. Uh, very much looking forward to him uh, getting going and, and uh, doing more with ultrasound in the ED. Um, and I will pause there. If there's any questions, I'm happy to answer now. Thank you for your report, Dr. Sali. Trustees, any questions of Dr. Sali? Dr. Arsali, you know I always have questions. Of course. <laughs> uh, so uh, on point three on this uh, offloading, thank you for, for providing a data set to kind of substantiate the assessment. Um, will you clarify for the public and everyone in the room, the audience, what actually offloading time means and what are the implications of it? Just for clarification, I, th I think it sounds relatively obvious, but I think they're moving parts. So the last data set you provided said the offload time at San Leandro is 86 minutes. Does that tell us what that means? So that's a, that's an average of all the uh, ambulances that arrived in the month of July. On average, it took them 86 minutes to uh, offload a patient, meaning for the patient to be handed off to the emergency department and the uh, EMS crew were then uh, free to go on to their next call. So, that's so that the, means the patient sat in the rig for an hour and 26 minutes? Correct. Got it. So if anyone can understand, imagine your patient being transported, you get to the emergency department and you sit in the rig for another hour and 26 minutes. That's hard stuff. And you, uh, the data you presented are July data, right? Correct. It is. And then most of the interventions which you've illustrated are uh, just occurring at this point or not even completed on the intervention. Not completed in the works. Some of them are quick fixes. Some of them are not. Uh, the uh, MD staffing was uh, much quicker than I had anticipated. Uh, I appreciate anyone involved in that, including doctors uh, Tornabeni as well as Mark Fratsky. Uh, those are the ones that stand out. Uh, Chitraculous Warren, uh, thank you for your support. That was a much quicker turnaround than I had uh, anticipated. I anticipated a bit of a longer battle for that. The uh, RN staffing, uh, Terrence uh, Shaw is has been awesome to work with. Um, he's been sharing sort of updates uh, daily, weekly on the uh, on being able to hire staff. He's got he had the 11 post uh, positions posted last month. Um, we have not had a whole lot of uh, luck in uh, 
identifying and hiring new RNs. That that's just challenging across the country. Um, so th that that's a harder challenge, but it's in, it's in the works. We do have travelers that have uh, filled gaps and have already made an impact, and I think we'll continue to see that in the coming months. And I'll share that data. Thank you very much. I mean, I, this is a, a ripe opportunity for any quality initiative. You have data, you apply intervention, then you measure data. So I think this is a great opportunity. Mr. Frasky, sir, can you comment on the collaboration you've had with the San Leandro uh, team on this on these kind of issues? Oh boy. Um, you know, one the, I think one of the, well, there's a lot going on at San Leandro. Um, I think one of the the largest impacts, um, Dr. Abzali mentioned the emergency room staffing and the nursing support there. And I think, you know, Roloft and, and Karen Shaw, two of our system leaders, have really helped support the ED at San Leandro and all of the med surge units as well. We recently started and opened up the third floor, and we're going to keep it open permanently. Um, we started with hiring short-term travelers because we wanted to decompress um, patients um, in beds at Highland um, at the ED. And by the way, the ED volume in San Leandro is starting to creep up to pre-COVID levels, um, which is great. Um, but on the third floor, we've, we've staffed up to 10 beds. Now we've got 15. We've got more travelers coming in. We're going to sign them to a 13-week stint instead of a four- to six-week stint while we, while we staff up and get our own permanent staff. Uh, we believe we can keep that unit 15 full, um, as well as the other ministers um, beds at, at San Leandro. So um, along with getting equipment, uh, and we're working on the facility infrastructure there now. You know, the chillers aren't doing well there. Mario's leading point on that, and the overlay with all the clinical issues seems to be the infrastructure um, as well across all of our hospitals. It's old, it's breaking down, we need to fix it permanently or we need to get new stuff, and that's what we're evaluating now and starting to rally around, frankly. So there's just so much, um, Trustee Bouquet, that is being done. Yeah. To, to really support, in this case, San Leandro and Dr. Abzali and the team there. But um, I think a few, I mentioned a few of the highlights. Oh, thank you very much. Dr. Abzali, thank you for providing a data-supported assessments. I think the data helps guide us all. Uh, and, and, and I think we should always ask, what data are we using to come to our assessments? So thank you. Thank you for providing that data. Trustee Jensen. Um, thank you, Dr. Abzali. I, I appreciate the data because we, we, we know that patients who are coming to the emergency department are, are it's a challenge for patients, it's a challenge for the physicians in the department, and we know that our triage staff is, is we can tell that they're having um, challenges as well because this isn't happening quickly, but this is also a challenge, and we can't forget our EMS people because often the EMS is waiting when there are other emergencies in the community, and that's not acceptable. We can't. They, they obviously aren't going to leave a patient without the patient being triaged and being admitted. But on the other hand, there's other emergencies in the community. So we have to resolve this problem. Absolutely. I appreciate all your help. Thank you for your comments. Thank you so much, Dr. Absali. With that, we'll close out Dr. Absali's report. And we'll welcome uh, Dr. Nikki Joshi, who's the Chief of Staff at Alameda Hospital. Good evening, Dr. Joshi. Good evening. Thank you, everyone, for having us. Um, my report is enclosed a, a little bit shorter than usual because um, for August, we had very short meetings for Alameda Hospital. Um, 
but wanted to highlight in particular um, in moving our reports to fit with the pillars of the uh, strategic plan. So in particular, item B, um, staff and patient experience. So uh, we've been working with our patient experience team under Olivia Kreebel to create a cohort, cohort of physicians who would be undergoing um, some special training on communications. This training is being created by the patient experience team. So it's following the gift format that's been adopted by AHS. And so we're still in the process of um, identifying the physicians and the leaders who will be there, but really looking forward to what that will look like. Um, and then otherwise item A is a summary of the reports that we have approved. And with that, I open it up to any questions. Thank you very much, Dr. Joshi. Trustees, any comments or questions for Dr. Joshi of Alameda Hospital? Barring none, uh, we will close out item D, our medical staff reports. Thank you to our medical staff leaders. And we'll next move into item E. This is the East Bay Medical Group update to remind everybody and the trustees, the East Bay Medical Group is uh, uh, a physician group under the auspices of the uh, Alameda Health System. Uh, and it is led uh, by uh, the chair of the East Bay Medical Group, Dr. Bernice Perez, an ED physician who's on shift right now, and Dr. Chitra Kilaswaran, who is the president of East Bay Medical Group, is it, who is an obstetrician gynecologist here this evening. Good evening, Dr. Kilaswaran. Good evening, everyone. Uh, let me um, share my screen. That's good. Okay. Um, thank you everyone for your attention this evening. Um, I know it's been a solemn, solemn um, meeting so far and um, I'm hoping to both acknowledge that but also offer some hopeful updates. Um, tomorrow marks the beginning of National Hispanic Heritage Month and so I wanted to just um, highlight that I had the opportunity to listen to um, Javier Becerra at the ACOG meeting this year, um, where he spoke really eloquently and um, inspiringly around um, uh, the Dobbs decision and supporting OBGYNs and other um, providers um, and HHS's support of, of all of us. So um, very proud to be again here in an institution where we're building abortion services for our patients and for the community. and. Um, happy to have a um, Latino um, HHS secretary um, to, to follow in his leadership as well and celebrate that. Wanted to just highlight um, some milestones, just high level um, kind of things that are notable around East Bay Medical Group um, as of September. We hit a headcount of 300 physicians and I expect that that will increase to somewhere in the mid 300s um, by next year. Um, we also voted just recently on Monday to um, change our name to Alameda Health Medical Group, um, which I'm very excited about. Um, this was in part due to, I think, an interest in feeling closer to our health system, um, and also in part due to the confusion that the name East Bay Medical Group was presenting when it came to recruiting and competing with Sutter East Bay Medical Group, the various forms of East Bay medical groups that exist around the East Bay um, and really wanting to have more of a brand presence um, to attract talent. Um, and so really, really excited about this and we're working with the design agency. So expecting our new brand to be launched sometime in early 2023. 
We've added two new specialties or folded them in rather into East Bay Medical Group, um, plastic surgery, which was previously contracted and maternal fetal medicine. We now have a per diem provider that was, that's also a contracted um, service. And so um, expanding um, in, in good ways and um, also in, in sort of response, but also sort of ongoing discussions about how we support <laughs> mental wellness um, and care around our physicians and APPs and trainees um, been collaborating on a new mental health benefit for all of these various populations of our staff. Remind everyone, um, the way that I think about these we spent the first year and a half really uh, creating sort of a foundation of how we would recruit and retain our clinicians. We were having a major problem, obviously, with turnover last year. Um, we've really stabilized that um, and now focused for the next year on um, physician experience. How do we um, inspire people to continue to work here, um, invest their time and their efforts in our community and in our, um, uh, in our institution? Um, but also pr provide professional pathways for folks to develop themselves so that they can continue to have the, the level of impact that they want. And so the next, I just have a few slides here. There was a written report given, but um, just to hi highlight some of the major initiatives that we're undertaking right now, um, I wanted to mentioned that all of these initiatives are collaborative efforts. Um, I'm speaking to them, but they are truly joint efforts between East Bay Medical Group, our uh, ELT, and various members of our physician and uh, medical staff leadership. So um, I want to just thank all of those folks for the support and the um, willingness to, to collaborate and support our physicians and clinicians. Um, I'm really proud that I've been able to help lead um, a new mental health benefit that we'll be announcing this Friday in anticipation of National Physician Suicide Awareness Day on Saturday. Um, and this was really done with the full um, support and cooperation and kind of co-ideation um, of uh, Dr. Torna Bene, Dr. Sims Mackey, um, Mark Fratsky, Lorna Jones, um, which is that we're going to be able to provide one-on-one -on -one mental health support for all physicians, APPs, and trainees um, with a panel of community-based practitioners that we've vetted who are well-versed in caring for clinicians. Um, we're going to be reviewing utilization to make sure that people are actually uptaking this benefit and um, that we're really destigmatizing um, accessing this kind of care. Um, and in fact, this ends up being relatively budget neutral because we used to have a psychologist on staff um, and have not filled that position. And I think this gives us a more diverse opportunity to access support um, across a number of different types of providers. Next, we, I think I mentioned that we've um, worked, we voted to change our name um, and we did a bit of a brand um, kickoff and I wanna sort of reflect back who we see ourselves as, because I think you'll be really excited to hear <laughs> how we see ourselves. And I think you'll identify with it um, in many ways. Um, many of the physicians sort of participated in either a survey or a, a workshop to help define our identity and um, the way in which we defined ourselves and hopefully you know, our visual design will reflect um, our folks that are mission-centered, patient-obsessed, gritty, bold, impactful, resilient, quality-focused, excellence-focused, scrappy, um, dedicated, uh, 
care deeply about liberation, justice, equity, inclusivity, and very local and community grounded. And I do think that's quite accurate. So I'm excited to see, to me, this is a very, um, this is a significant point of differentiation in terms of how we present ourselves to the public uh, relative to other medical groups in the area that might be hiring. Um, I think we'll attract the profile of, of physician and clinician that we want um, based on these qualities and how they're reflected in our, in our visual brand. On the recruitment front, uh, we're um, in the process of developing a, um, a program to specifically recruit underrepresented folks in medicine. Um, that's a kind of a dated term, but um, had been defined previously by a number of uh, medical organizations. Um, and really this is a tool to ensure that chairs and chiefs have the ability to um, recruit and retain trainees who um, meet criteria for being underrepresented in medicine, whether through um, uh, race, ethnicity, or other e protected EEOC classes. Um, and our goal is really to diversify our medical staff, um, really giving and give those um, providers the tools they need to be successful so that it's not just a matter of getting them in the door, but actually sustaining their well-being while they're with us, particularly in the first two to five years. So um, the, the outline of this program, which is in the, in the works and hasn't um, quite been approved yet, but wanted to share the, the beginnings of it because we are starting to see folks come into the pipeline that could meet criteria for this that we would extend offers well in advance of, of when they would start so that we can grab those individuals and may, really develop them in anticipation of their start date and they can form those relationships that they will need to be successful. We would offer signing and retention bonuses um, to keep them on board. We know a lot of these folks are um, first generation um, college grads um, and certainly medical school grads. And so um, needing financial support is a significant part of being a new attending. Um, we would want to support them to engage in leadership programs or um, other sort of fellowship programs to develop other skills um, besides clinical, clinical skills, um, sponsor loan forgiveness um, through our, our state programs that we have available, and really support them with um, dedicated leadership. Um, so we're hoping that faculty of various backgrounds will step up to mentor these individuals and then provide some financial support and assistance to enable that mentorship to occur. Um, we're aiming for five recruits a year through this program. Another um, initiative that we're um, using to again, drive forward the physician experience and also just how we're thinking about performance more generally as a group is really looking at where, where should we staff to meet the community's needs. Now we've sort of stabilized um, the bleeding per se in terms of folks turning over um, how do we bring in the right people as we build out services that make sense for the community? And this is, again, a completely shared effort between the medical group, um, our CMO, our COO, um, our ACM, our new ACMO. Um, and so it's, it's across um, kind of platform collaboration. Um, but we were able to get our hands on some really interesting data that may or may not have been mentioned or brought to your attention before from CHCN. We've been having regular um, meetings with their CMO and we got a database that had about 640,000 referrals. And I mean, um, have to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt because it's both inpatient and outpatient referrals. But we, I've been presenting, I presented this data to our physician leaders about a month ago, and they were super excited about it um, because these leaders are now able to see, well, where are we, where could we get more referrals and what areas, what specialties, could we build those programs out? Are we a specialty that actually has a huge backlog and can't take on more? 
And so being able to use data to help leaders make decisions about how to grow their services is sort of the bottoms up approach of meeting our community's needs. And then on the flip side, the top down approach is for our executive team to really take this and say, where do we strategically wanna grow our services? And that's something that those are conversations that are underway. Um, I find this really, really exciting because it allows us to be proactive in terms of how we're actually um, expanding what we offer um, to the community, where we offer those services geographically, um, and then how do we attract um, physicians to staff them well in advance of when we actually need those services. And so this to me represents sort of the next, the next phase of where we're headed. This is just some, these are just some of the slides that I presented to our physician leaders, but kind of shows us where are we not getting referrals? Where are we getting, uh, where are we first in referrals across the county? Um, but then also what percentage of total referrals are we are we securing? And it's still, even being first, we are not securing a majority of referrals in any of these areas. Um, and then where are we below number one in terms of our ranking? And then performance-wise, still moving forward and have really good, again, collaboration uh, across um, the ELT and various teams to help us um, measure physician performance across various pillars of our strategic plan. So working on a dashboard where we can reflect back to physician leaders and staff physicians, how we're doing, what, what constitutes a good job, um, and how do we define that for our physicians so that they feel like they are getting the support they need to be successful in our system. And so that's, that's moving forward as well. And that concludes my report for today. Thank you, Dr. Achilles Warren. Trustees, any questions of Dr. Achilles Warren? I, I had a question. Trustee okay. Manerty. The, um, thank you. There's so much, so much good stuff happening. Um, the, uh, the mental health, uh, clinical mental health, clinician mental health supports, again, just wanted to confirm, is that for EBMG staff only, or is it, uh, does it, transfer to residents, interns, uh, community doctors across the system? We're aiming for it to be all medical staff. So all trainees, physicians, and APPs across the system that are benefited. Um, so that will be our employed, employed staff. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Um, Dr. Kilsmore, thank you for your written report to complement this as well. It's our understanding that one of your board members has, uh, your community board members has resigned. Is that correct? That's correct. And I'll just remind the trustees, it's our um, responsibility to approve uh, 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 all EBMG board of directors. All that being said, I don't think we have the bandwidth to, to do the vetting. So I've, I've had a conversation with Dr. Achilles Warren for them to do a vetting and, and then to pose those uh, candidates or candidates to us for part of the process. I just wanted to let everyone know we've sort of had that discussion, but ultimately the approval of that board of director will come back to us here at EBMG. Is that is, is that good, Dr. Tillsworn? Yep. That, and, then, and then last comment, uh, which of course she wouldn't say about herself. Um, this is in the written report. Uh, Dr. Tillsworn just recently underwent a 360 by all the EBMG board, uh, by, sorry, the EBMG electorate, all of them. and. Uh, it was nothing but glowing review of Dr. Angelus Warren. So thank you for her leadership on EBMG. Thank you for your leadership. And I also wanted to highlight the physician spotlight, Dr. Sam Singer's work. <coughs> it's not often we hear about the pediatric work that's happening over here. So that was really good to read about. Thank you, Dr. Tillis Warren. With that, we'll close item E and we'll go into item F. 
here's where we're going to get some time back. Um, uh, item F1 uh, is the current board roster. Uh, you know, I just want to make a few comments on our board and, you know, the pride that I have in this board and what we represent. Just, uh, I'll keep putting the statistics back. We have nine members of our board of trustees. Five of them are women. Five of them are people of color. So I, I challenge other boards around the country to match the diversity profile like that. The report roster is included in our packet. It's broken down by both trustee and by board of trustee committee. So that's in your packet for the public to consume just to know where all your trustees. I wanna make a little bit of a forecast on our board composition. Trustee uh, uh, Blue has, uh, her term uh, ends in December of this year and she has advised that she will not be seeking another term. So, uh, you know, we're gonna appreciate Trustee Blue. We still have a couple meetings left with her. And uh, of course, we'll celebrate her uh, in our November meeting because we're dark in December. Uh, so she'll be stepping down at the end of calendar. Trustee Jensen, who's been a faithful servant of this board for eight years, will be stepping off the Alameda Healthcare District this year. And, and just to recall, the Alameda Healthcare District holds an ex officio voting position here. So ex officio by virtue of, she's here by virtue of her placement on the Alameda Healthcare District. So, her stepping off the healthcare district means, unfortunately, she's stepping off our board, and she's been a loyal servant to this and, and a great partner uh, for this board for eight years. We'll again celebrate her in November. So that's just the forecast that the board composition it has some anticipated changes come early 2023. So you'll get we'll, we'll get plenty of time to embarrass you in November. <laughs> okay. So I'll close out item F1. That's our current board roster. Item F2 is the Human Resources Committee. Madam Clerk, is Trustee Blue in the room? I don't believe she is. Okay, so we'll defer that report. Item F3 is the QPSCs. Remember, we were uh, the QPSC is not dark in August, although we are. We had a, both a July and an August meeting. I'll, I'll keep it short. We did the regular work of the QPSC, which is approving credentials, policies, and procedures, and hearing quality reports and directly interacting with our med staff. The notable discussion and action item was related to our approval of the True North metric for which uh, Dr. Torna Bene, uh, uh, I think Mr. Jackson, Ms. Miranda, I think she'll, they'll be leading us through at the end of the evening. Is that right? No, we're, we're, we're coming back to it because the, there will be elements approved in some of the other board subcommittees and then we'll bring it back. Okay, so that will come back um, to us, but that's what we discussed. We discussed 11 related True North metric quality items and we did approve those in the quality committee. Quality but quality committee can't approve the HR and the, and the sustainability one. So that, that's in everyone's packet. Item F4 uh, was the finance committee. Trustee Fox is out of country. Trustee Esteem sat in for him and trustee Esteem is uh, not present yet. So we'll, def we'll defer that one. On July 13th, there was an executive committee special meeting. I'll note that there were no open session items at that meeting. It's a closed session item and the public agenda, publicly agendized closed session item was, is there for you. On F6, uh, we had a board of trustees special meeting on 8-3-22. Again, there were no open session items for this meeting. It was a closed session and that agendized item is in the packet. On 8-6, there was a QPSC special meeting. And this was a very quick meeting, a relatively quick meeting to approve two policies that needed follow-up. One was a medical staff roles of conflicts of interest, and the other was neonatal assessments. Right. So, wow, that, that was uh, item, <laughs> item F. I told you I'd get some time back. 
uh, trustees, any questions or comments on any of these items, F1 through F6? Um, I think I was instructed by council to report out on item F5. F6. F6. Oh, sorry. So, um, yes, council. There is a, a report out from the special meeting, and uh, uh, the board approved the appointment of Dr. Subramanian as the new chair of medicine. The announcement is made now due to some intermediate steps that had needed to be taken before the appointment was finalized. So welcome. Well, I can't welcome Dr. Subramanian because she's been here for some time and shown tremendous leadership, but it's, it's great to have um, Dr. Subramanian take the lead as the chair of medicine. So that's tremendous. Thank you, Trustee Thank you. So with that, we will close out item F, if there are no further comments or questions. All right, team, uh, let's, let's move to the consent agenda. There are items G1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 in there. Uh, before entertaining a motion to approve the entirety of the consent agenda, are there any items that need to be removed for discussion, G1 through G5 from any of the trustees? Um, Rana, do you see anybody? Uh, if I could just say, I, I appreciate um, this board. I appreciate um, the council and Rana and staff because this board sees everything, especially when you look at the contracts. It's really remarkable. Often boards don't see what contracts are being done or else it, it goes from the range. And Mark, um, Trustee Friedman can probably uh, join me on this comment it it's either there's nothing or very little or there's or the board's going to vote on every single contract for any amount that might possibly come up and so i appreciate that this board and in this agenda development that there's the contracts the amount total and the amount that's being being um, either added or or addressed in this particular meeting and so that's really it's helpful to the board but it doesn't delay the the, the business of the organization so thank you for that. Thank you, Trustee Jensen, for those comments. I agree. I, I think staff does tremendous and excellent effort to summarize, especially the executive summaries. And it's still 445 pages. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they, I, I agree. I think staff does an excellent job in, in helping us prepare as a board. And I know we've read every single Did we lose sound? I actually heard you, sir. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, I think we lost the home front. I think the, the conference room. Yeah, that seems correct. Yeah, I think we did lose sound. They're moving around. Do you have a connection? Hmm. Huh. Well, good evening, everybody. I hope everybody's having a nice evening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. Know
Testing. Yes. There we go. Yeah. Thumbs up. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> that was a CIO right there. <laughs> While you were gone, we moved through the whole agenda and passed everything. <laughs> so so uh, I'll ask this uh, question again. Uh, is there anything uh, on the consent agenda that needs to be pulled for discussion? I think there's none. Uh, we had a motion by Trustee Banerjee to approve the entirety, seconded by Trustee Jensen. I'm sorry, Trustee Friedman, you didn't get your shot. Um, so we'll do a roll call now. Yeah, Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye.
I think uh, uh, we're going to hear from Huron, and it's going to be a great presentation, but I'm going to offer an opportunity to maybe explode this a little bit more at that meeting, if necessary, maybe necessary uh, or helpful. And we'll get to make that determination, Mr. CEO, if that's okay, after this presentation. Sure. Um, uh, there will be lunch together. We're hoping that, that some of the um, Alameda Health System Foundation Board will be able to attend that they've been invited so we can actually try to have a little break some bread together, which always is helpful. And then uh, uh, Mr. Jackson and I have thought about uh, uh, kind of reviewing uh, the Huron presentation, uh, the renaissance of a health system for us to see. We're still kind of working out the execution of how we do that. Do we just sit here and watch a video together? Do we talk? But I think we're, we're, we're talking through that. So that's probably going to be some portion of the agenda. Uh, Mr. Jackson, any other further vision on this item? Well, we thought that what we've played with is making it somewhat interactive and so breaking it into segments. And yeah. so we would watch a part of it and then Stop have, and talk. have the inter opportunity to interface and talk about what we saw and then to resume the, the video. Yeah. So it isn't an hour of sitting and listening to the presentation. It's really a much more interactive process. That's what we're contemplating. Oh, yeah. I, and uh, so. I'll now open up and that's sort of the day. Hopefully out by 4.15 is a Friday. Um, trustees, I'll open up for any comments if there are any. I actually have a question and this is probably for you and Rana. Um, I understood that there was going to be a joint meeting of the Board of Supervisors and the Board of Trustees. In October, I think it was six. Right, and it, is that in October as well? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so that okay. So Thank so uh, so that so the October sixth is that. I I think please don't quote me. Yeah, we, <laughs> I believe we, it's on the sixth. I think we've been working to uh, to confirm uh, yeah. and and, and reinitiating our joint meetings, which are sort of in our bylaws to do. So yes, that is certainly our plan. But uh, this one's set for Friday, October fourth. Okay. Any other further further comments or questions on this uh, on this forecast for our retreat? We would love hundred percent attendance by trustees in person. Love it. Love it. Okay. Um, so uh, with that, we will we will move on to um, the marquee presentation. Uh, I'm I'm not going to steal our CEO's thunder, and I'm going to give this item to him to introduce a great team. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Dr. Chair. Um, this is an opportunity for us to talk about the best journey to transformation, which is something that we are. On the, on the road to engaging with, it's the Studer Group, which is a part of Huron. And so many of you will recall that our organization worked with the Studer Group um, for some years. Um, we actually, um, and let me bring the presentation up. Let's see. There we have it. And I will go to share, or excuse me presentation mode. Uh, I wish I were a better computer guy. I'm sorry. Um, that, that's the CEO right there. That's just you. <laughs> yeah, Mark, you want to help me with that while I'm, while I'm checking? So um, this is an, a great opportunity because from 2008 to 2015, AHS trusted the Studer Group to help us achieve improved outcomes for our staff, physicians, and for our patients. And we saw a tremendous success. I actually was, was here at that time. 
as was uh, Mark Presky for a part of that, I believe. But um, it was really powerful to see the way working with the student group really was a value add to the organization. And um, that work stopped in 2015. And uh, we are now contemplating restarting that because we think that as we move up the hierarchy of needs, we have secured the base, if you will, by virtue of a lot of our best work. And so now we have the opportunity to start addressing some of the more cultural aspects of the organization as we move to uh, the aspiration of being the best safety net organization in the country, bar none. The student group was founded in 1999 and was acquired by Huron in 2015. And they're a global advisory firm that partners with healthcare organizations like us to develop the strategies and solutions needed to create and sustain cultures of high performance. <clears throat> we really believe that they're the right partner in helping us to implement effective strategies and practical solutions to align our leadership teams, attract, retain, and promote talent, as well as improving our organizational culture. Uh, the student group in Huron will work with us to align organizational goals and pro did you do it? Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> to align organizational goals and processes, creating a culture that attracts and retains the leaders needed to drive sustainable results. The foundation of the AHS journey will be to establish organization-wide objective measurable goals, which are shared and understood by all consistent leader development, which provides the skills necessary to execute effectively on organizational goals and the creation of standard leader work, which results um, in capacity building, increased employee and clinician engagement, and improved patient care outcomes. So working side by side with our leaders, we anticipate that our Huron coaching team will help to establish, accelerate, and hardwire necessary improvements throughout our leadership uh, framework and with a pace and sequence coaching approach. So with that, I will move into the presentation. I am obliged, I'm told by our, um, our clip of the board to tell you that this presentation is not the same one that was sent out uh, to the trustees uh, last week, and it's there are very nominal changes. On slide four, there's some semantic changes, and then we deleted slide number six. But besides that, it is the same presentation that you see in your packet, and we will provide the updated um, slide deck uh, post this meeting. So, how'd I do, Ronna? Very good, thank you. All right. <laughs> yeah, so let's dive in. So, our objectives this evening. We uh, want to spend some time outlining the plan for cultural transformation, and we're going to take about 20 minutes. We booked 30 minutes, but uh, we want to at least have. We can do 30. We can do 30. Yeah. yeah well, and we want to have some time for Q and A, so we're going to move quickly through our slides, yeah. and um, then we will open it up for questions and comments from the trustees. Yeah. Um, I am joined this evening by Debbie Ritchie and Dave Brown from Studer Huron. Um, and I will introduce a few slides and then I will turn it over to Debbie and Dave. So um, again, we want to uh, outline the plan for cultural transformation and answer questions, um, talk about how we're gonna work together with Huron to ensure that this is the right approach and plan for the Alameda Health System to be clear on what the next steps are and to secure the support of our trustees for um, alignment and moving forward. This is, we believe, the natural continuation of our work um, in the best program building excellence, sustainability, and trust. We've had really great success. Um, I am just so proud of the work that the best team has done, working on Mark Fratsky and Kim Rand really have been the primary um, leads, executive leads in the best work, and um, just really awesome uh, 
uh, things that have been achieved so far and frankly more, more to come. And I'm happy to elaborate on some of that, but we see this as the natural uh, continuation of our journey to being the best safety net organization in the country. So this slide, I will not read it to you, but I just wanted to highlight a few key points. Um, on the left of the slide, you see that what we identify as our current state and what we see as opportunities, um, focusing on, on clinician burnout. That's something that we've talked a lot about. I think you all have heard um, plenty about the fact that we do have a, a challenge with physician burnout and we it's incumbent upon us to really do things to give our physicians, our providers more resiliency and more resources so that they can bring their best selves to this work. Um, we have challenging union relationships and I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. Um, we have an opportunity to be better. Um, we've made progress in our work with the unions and I'm very proud about that, but I do think that there are opportunities for improvement there. Um, and I would just also dropping down the page a bit, um, organizational disciplines need strengthening and that includes our management systems, the behavioral standards across the organization and making sure that we have the right person in the right role. So as you look at the right side of the page, we talk about some of the objectives of this engagement and we wanna expand our, our best initiatives, um, governance structure, build alignment and accountability through improved leadership development and engagement with our leaders, staff and physicians, um, some specific teaching and hands-on training um, for our leaders because we, and we've developed the Leadership Academy, really proud of what Lauren and the team have done there, but we see an opportunity to work more closely with them to, to drive because we love to do more internal promotions. Um, we've heard from our staff, you know, why you go outside so much for filling positions. And so we do seek to promote from within when we have the opportunity and we've done a lot of that, but we can do more. And I also wanna make sure that we're preparing our leaders for success. I, you know, I hear too much that people get into these jobs and then they feel like they're in over their head and they don't have the, the resources or know how to be successful. And that's, we see a lot of turnover in the first year. People get in and it's just too much for them and they, they are not able to stay in that role. We want to change that, that dynamic. And then obviously improving clinical quality and safety, and safety accountability, processes, patient perception of care, and consistency of our patients' experience. I'm confident most of you have seen this fly well, and really conceptually, it is, um, it is a perpetual cycle because you, you start with the passion that people bring to this work, and you know, Rich talked about that today, and it was really cool to hear him talk about you know, why we as healthcare professionals are susceptible to burnout, and that's because we care. People who don't care don't get in this business. And so we're passionate about this work. Um, and so what we see is creating really principled ways that we go about doing this work that leads into having the pillars that we have of the organization, which um, really help define where we're gonna focus. And that helps drive the passion, it helps people keep their passion. So we see this as a uh, perpetual cycle with at the center, the purpose, worthwhile work and making a difference. And with that, I will turn to Ms. Debbie Ritchie, Thank who you. is our, our lead from uh, here on Stewart. Thank you so much. And um, thank you, uh, Trustee Bouquet, for ensuring we also have time tonight on the agenda. Um, I'm Debbie Ritchie, and I um, have been a part of the Studer Group team 
I started in 2006 as the chief operating officer, and I was named president of the organization in 2015. Um, we were acquired by Huron, as you heard earlier, and have um, been incredibly grateful to be able to partner with an organization where we could leverage our strategic strengths. And we have a strength in culture and organizational excellence. And we are incredibly committed and excited about the opportunity for you to consider having us come and partner with you on your cultural transformation journey. As um, Mr. Jackson referenced, um, we do leverage a lot of intellectual capital, a lot of methodology in a frame to achieve the results that we seek to achieve. One of them is the healthcare flywheel that you just saw. We recognize that people really have to understand why it is they're doing this work. They have to be committed to purpose and passion and that if we give them the discipline to do the job well, that they will see results. We leverage um, a, another methodology, which is our engagement model, which is really largely steeped on how do we really um, develop our leaders so that we can then cascade that learning down, not only to our physicians and clinicians, but to our employees. And as a result of that, a highly engaged, highly developed team creates a better experience for patients. So what we ultimately seek to help you do here is to create a great place for your employees to work, a great place for your physicians to practice medicine, and a great place for your patients and families to receive care. That is the essence of what we wanna do here working with the Alameda team. We have seen very specific results of leveraging this engagement model that I just referenced and the outcomes we're able to achieve. So particularly, how can we re reduce turnover so that you create more um, stability in the organization, remove variability and optionality in the organization by creating a stronger team of consistent team members we believe that we can help you to move that along. We also leverage higher engagement to driving other productivity measures, other outcome measures that are important to the organization. Um, Mr. Jackson, you can go ahead and advance it to the next slide. Um, I, I do want to instill um, with you some confidence in the fact that we have been doing this work for over two decades. And we've worked across a multitude of healthcare organizations. We've worked with large systems. Um, we've worked here in California. We've worked in multiple states. Um, we've worked in the rural critical access setting. Um, I would be remiss not to let you know that on the phone with, with uh, my colleague Dave and I this evening is Jackie Gaines. Jackie is a uh, a long tenured coach with our organization. She is a senior executive leader. She leads our FQHC and Community Health Center work. And we've already pulled her in to help understand the needs that you have here at Alameda and how we might better serve those. And Jackie, I'm really grateful that you joined us this evening. Um, we 
have done this work and driven results, um, which we're happy to share with you and give you confidence in the fact that we can partner with you and do this work and uh, help you also achieve those results. So the question is really then how? And so with that, we can advance. You know, if we zoom out a bit, um, you know, we, we obviously will start with your mission. Our mission becomes your mission. And we were really candidly struck by how patient-centered and how people-centered your mission is. Um, we want to make sure that we help you in your why to be world-class and to rise above the challenges to eliminate disparity and to serve your communities. That is such a noble mission. We want to leverage the goals, the measures of success, and the rewards that you have organized around pillars um, and a balanced approach. That is a similar approach that we use in our work with your organization. All of this helps you achieve quality of care, staff and physician experience, sustainability, and community connection. And I would tell you, it's really that sustainability piece that you've created in your work with Huron, as Mr. Jackson referenced, that is why I think we have the opportunity to be here tonight. You've made tremendous progress uh, in helping to address some of the gaps and deficiencies that have helped you produce better outcomes, uh, financial outcomes, now we want to leverage that to sustain the gains you have. And we believe by developing your people and your leadership and your talent, we have the opportunity to help you do that. The how we will do that is leveraging what we call the evidence-based leadership model. How do we ensure that we are looking at the right goals to create the right alignment in your organization so everyone's clear on what it is that you are seeking to achieve. Once we get the right alignment and accountability in place, we have to make sure that we provide the skills and develop the leaders to do that work. That's where we get to the behavioral change that we believe will really help you with that long-term sustainability. And then we'll create that uh, systemized, uh, standardized leader work that really leads to developing the best practices that you have in the organization that will drive those results. We've leveraged this evidence-based leadership model as I referenced for over two decades. And um, we believe this will work for you as it, as it did years ago when we worked with Alameda before. With that, I'd love to introduce my colleague, uh, Dave Brown. Dave worked with us as a coach, and he now helps us to really understand the unique aspects of every organization so that we design the right plan and the right approach to helping you achieve the right outcomes. And Dave's going to kind of walk with, through with you the way we envision your phases of work and, and this work we would hope to do with you. All right. Thank you very much, Debbie. So as we've gotten to know Alameda Health System and your leaders and some of the aspirations that you've outlined in your strategic plan, coupled that with the cultural challenges, maybe some of the blockers that stand in the way of you achieving those aspirations, uh, we've developed a phased approach that we think would be most effective in helping you to accomplish or to achieve your goals and your outcomes. 
In the first phase, it's really focused on establishing a strong foundation, and that includes cascading goals from your True North scorecard throughout the organization to your leaders so that they have clarity around their objectives. Um, couple those objectives with action plans and monthly supervisory meetings so that we hold them appropriately accountable for the work that they're uh, entrusted with, the responsibilities that they have. We also, in that first phase, want to focus on developing them. We want to provide them the skills and the competencies to be successful in achieving the objectives that are cascaded to them. We want them to understand how um, they can be most effective in their day-to-day -day jobs and how they can lead teams, how, could, how they can engage their, their people. And then included in that first phase of work as well is, is really enhancing or elevating a focus on staff and physician engagement. Uh, really deploying some specific or targeted strategies that will help us demonstrate to our employees and to physicians that we're listening and that we show appreciation and recognition for the efforts that they contribute on a daily basis. Uh, listening to their feedback on processes or systems that could be improved. And then using that information to really help create a great place for them to work. That's phase one. We'll build on that as we move into phase two and really begin to focus on accelerating process around patient care. So looking at quality and safety and experience of care, making sure that we have the right strategies that are consistently applied to every patient that comes into your care. And then our, in our final phase, it's really then moving into a sustaining and hardwiring, uh, ensuring that the expectations, the skills, the behaviors that have been taught over the previous phases are consistently applied, consistently used, um, and that the outcomes that are expected with those behaviors are, are seen throughout the organization. If you can go to the next slide. Uh, what are some of the outcomes that you should expect and can expect to see as a, as, a, um, as a result of that phased approach? We certainly believe that you will see increased alignment and accountability throughout the organization. Leaders have a clear understanding of how their work contributes to True North. Uh, they understand how their work contributes to the mission, the vision, and the values of the organization. They understand what they're accountable for accomplishing and achieving and how that contributes to the success of the organization. Uh, you can expect uh, more um, developed, more effective leaders um, from the leadership development work. Uh, you can certainly expect to see improved employee and clinician engagement. Um, as a result of that, we expect turnover to re be reduced. First year turnover, total turnover, uh, more stability within your teams as engagement increases. And then, of course, we want to see improved patient experience results. Uh, we want to see improved communication with our patients and quality care for our patients. And uh, as a result of that, the experience of their care improves as well. And then just some final thoughts there uh, around secondary outcomes. We certainly expect to see improvement in pay for performance, so any penalties, or withholds that um, come from not only Medicare and Medicaid, but also from insurance companies, we want to make sure that those are eliminated and so that you are able to achieve uh, the value that is, is uh, necessary to the health system. And then final, final slide. So what would this look like and what would this mean for those on the team? So Debbie summarized this earlier. You know, our goal is to create a great place for your people. We want people to feel valued and respected cared for, appreciated. So as an employee, they want to know that and take pride in being part of this organization for, for many years to come. For your leaders, we certainly want them to know what's expected of them, clear and defined outcomes or obje objectives that they're being held accountable for. For your physicians, we want them to 
have ease of practice med practicing medicine. We want them to feel valued and um, allowed to provide input. Um, we want them to receive feedback as a part of this as well. And then finally for the board, I think just pride in the organization, achieving the outcomes that are outlined in your strategic plan, pride in providing the community with the care um, that they deserve, that they expect, um, and pride in providing, you know, just incredible resources um, to the Alameda County. So with that, you know, we are here to answer any questions you have. I think um, Mr. Jackson summed up kind of well, um, you know, a little bit about who we are and what we do. Um, we have great confidence in the strategic plan that you all have built. We believe you put culture with strategy and it's really unbeatable. And that's what we want to help you achieve here is just an unbelievable approach that is hardwired and sustainable for the long term at Alameda. So with that, we'll be happy to take any questions um, on behalf of any of your board. Uh, by the way, I'd like to call attention to my colleague, uh, Jackie Gaines. Jackie, if you can just wait. She's been diligent to be on all night uh, on this call. And Jackie, I welcome you to participate in any Q&A if, if, uh, if you'd like to. I'll say Ms. Gaines does some mean Zumba. She does do Zumba. <laughs> I've seen her in person do it. <laughs> um, thank you for that presentation. All right, trust, trustees, put your thinking caps on and uh, let's engage with our, our, our consultants here. Trustee Jensen. Um, thank you. It, it, it does look like you have um, been thoughtful and you have a, a plan to, to make some cultural change at AHS, and that's tremendous. And I appreciate the attention also to the strategic plan and how that will fit in to this work. My question is, um, AHS is a, a very unique system. You talked about healthcare system. You talked about some of the organizations you've worked for and with in the past. I, I'm wondering if you have any examples of systems that are similar to AHS. And then um, examples also of What's it, what is the unique, specific example of a cultural change that uh, that arose or was derived from your work with the organization? Great. And Jackie, I'll start, and then I'll um, give you an opportunity to chime in, too. So um, two organizations that come to mind. Um, we worked with JPS um, in Texas, which is a safety net hospital, um, and we saw um, not only moving from the very bottom level of employee engagement and patient experience to top performance um, with that organization. We also worked um, with Grady Health System um, as an example um, in, in Atlanta, where there was a real focus um, to turn around that organization using the evidence-based framework that I walked through um, and, and Dave shared with you as well. How do we ensure that employees find more value in the work they do, that physicians find that it's a better place to practice medicine and the patients were receiving uh, better care. And across all of that, um, Grady made tremendous progress as well. In fact, we'd be happy to share the results of those organizations, even from the words of the CEOs of those organizations um, in which we've worked. But, um, Trustee Jensen, those are examples of organizations that we think um, mirror that of Alameda. Jackie, any other? 
I think when I, good evening, everyone. Well, it's, even, it's nighttime here. I'm in the <laughs> coast. <laughs> so, but, um, but I think the thing that, that stands out after doing this work, for me, I'm going into my 15th year here, but over 45 in healthcare. And the thing that, that really sticks out in my mind is that the part, the part that gets in the way of people getting results is really variance and execution, particularly oh, through, throughout leadership. You know, and especially the larger the organization, the harder it is to get some consistency. And we're not talking about, you know, cloning everyone and just making everybody do things the exact same way. But there is a need to have a disciplined approach in order to move all of that great work that you did laying the foundation to actually accelerating at a higher pace the results you're trying to achieve. And that does have to come out of that having a culture where that discipline is in place uh, to, to decrease the variation. Um, I think the other part too, is we know that most of the time when things go sideways, it's really around probably about 85% have to do with some level of effective communication or lack thereof um, strategies in place. And I think um, that discipline we're talking about that we have brought um, to organizations around the country a lot of that is on those effective leading strategies in communication um, and everything around engagement, you know, is how we treat each other because we're not in the widget business here. We are in the human to human business. And so that requires us to really elevate that skill, especially at the leadership level. So when you talk about cultural transformation in any, in any organization, no matter what size they are or how complex. And I definitely personally have dealt with all of the above. I think those two key elements of that variance in execution and effective and leading communication strategies, the combination of those really does shift culture in an organization and help you to drive your results. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Trustee Banner, yeah. Um, thank you. This is really comprehensive. Um, who, which is the sphere of folks that you will be working with primarily? Like, what levels? Because, I mean, culture shift is happening both top down and bottom up. So yes. Correct. How are you kind of combining those two? And the other thing is that because our, um, but so much of that involves like shifting mindsets shifting, you know, narratives that we have, we sometimes have within our own system about both our patients, our, our folks inside. And I always, uh, when I think about evidence-based practice, I want to make sure that oh, a lot of the evidence-based practices are not culturally universe, universal sometimes because we do have a very mixed, uh, multiracial, multi-faith folks with different social identities from different you know, languages of origin, national origin. And some of the things that we were talking about just in this last week of the way mutual aid has shown up and people have stepped up. There are cultures that are very, very relational and they do this on a regular basis. Like that is how they operate. And then there are cultures that are very individualistic. And so how are you as you're shifting like the org culture that we are also kind of taking the best from the different, you know, um, cultures and practices and wisdoms that our own staff bring. So I think what I wanted to, so 
two parts. Like yeah. one is how are you doing it both from top down and bottom up, and then how are you also infusing some of multiple ways of knowing so that your knowledge base or evidence is actually um, more universal culturally. Yes, thank you. Excellent question. So the way we will approach our work here first is um, really starting with your senior executive team and your, your senior leadership team. Um, candidly, we are often assessing before we are making a commitment about work about what the level of commitment from the senior leaders and the board candidly will be because we have to ensure that we can model those expectations down through all levels of leadership. So we'll start really with your senior team. And then we look to cascade that down to other leadership levels because that's where we'll also get a scale of really changing behavior in the organization. So while your senior leaders will touch and be able to model a, a number of employees in the organization, when you get to your mid-manager level, that's when you get scale and you really can, can address that communication and that cascading of the expectation across the organization that will be so critical to really driving change in the organization. And then with regard to the way we address the cultural issues, and I'll, I'll also ask Jackie if she wants to speak to this. She's been a leader of that work with us. But this is not our journey with you. This is your journey. We are there to coach and support you across that journey. So the things that are critically important to your organization from a diversity and cultural equity standpoint, we want to be there to support you in those things. We'll give you the tools and the resources to ensure that we're helping drive and sustain that, but it is your journey. We're there to support you. Um, we use something that we call a coaching model. And um, in that regard, just like a professional athlete, the best professional athletes maintain a coach to tweak and adjust and change things in the organization, that will be the primary role that we will serve here. And so the things that are important to you, your standards of behavior, the things that um, really drive will be part of what we will use to do that. Jackie, what else might you add? The, the only other thing I would say is that, and I, and I was excited to hear the fact that you guys have already started on your DEI kind of journey. Um, I think, you know, I've been doing DEI for probably the better of three decades, uh, leading it in organizations. And I can, the thing that I, that resonates with, with just about everybody is if DEI is threaded through your mission, vision, and core values of what you do. And this whole notion of your of the level of respect that you have as the, as a part of those core values, and when you when you ground DEI in those principles and open up yourself to listening to the needs of not just your client, not not just your patients and the people that you care for and the communities that you serve, but also internal your internal customers, if you will, your coworkers, your colleagues you know, the leaders in your organization and your frontline staff in the organization, it couches it in a different way. I'm not sure that, at least in my experience, we'll know every nuance of every culture. Um, but if we have mutual respect and we demonstrate that and really lean into that along with our core values, 
then it allows you to open up a little bit more to the differences that we all bring to the table. So I think, you know, um, DEI is, is very expansive and you could go at this in a whole bunch of different ways. The thing about healthcare is that we have an advantage. We, we all care about our communities and the people that we serve. And sometimes when we at least can agree on that, uh, as our starting point, particularly with diversity and inclusion, you don't have as much of the, how can I say, emotion that's tied to DEI initiatives a lot of times um, and get caught up in that if we stay focused on that cultural competence and the things that we need to do to better serve our, our patients. Um, and it, it has a little bit of spillover in how we, how we treat each other too. You know, so I think you guys are, are far along in your journey, at least from what I can hear from what you shared, um, which is a great foundation. I think you said that, uh, James, is a great foundation uh, to start all of this work and everything that we would bring to the table would add, but also complement um, and advance what you're already um, already doing. And, and any other trustees? Come on, guys. And the other thing is, and um, um, James, you might be able to say that having been CA of one of our community hospitals is that when we've acquired our different facilities, there's an organizational culture that's yes. very different across the facilities. Our smaller hospitals, community hospitals, again, are very relational with the patients, mm -hmm. with the community. And sometimes what happens is that there is, you have to take the good from every place and it doesn't always happen. So the folks in the periphery feel like we get railroaded and it is the center highland core that really drives the culture and drives that. And so how might we be porous in that sense and allow that folks over here should lean in and see what's great happening in some of these other and also be able to like be willing to so be able to do that kind of cross-pollination so I hope that when you work with the early adopters have to be the executive leadership team but you have a good representative sample of the early adopters so it's through ambulatory post-acute community hospital like you're getting folks from all of that so in this, like you said, it is our culture, our people, our mission, our aspirations that there's like shared meaning making that's happening through this process yeah. so that it's not like very core driven only. Yes. I didn't know if you wanted to add. I, I appreciate those comments and I will say uh, part of what we do in working with organizations to build stronger cultures is to harvest the best that you have, and you have pockets of really exceptional culture already, right? We've got to make sure that we harvest that and then share that across the organization so, so we expand and build upon what right looks like. Trustees, come on, guys. All this go if you guys don't. Well, I appreciate the presentation, obviously, we so work much. together. So um, uh, I, I think uh, I, we can agree on the premise that uh, you, uh, Huron, knows us pretty intimately at this point. You know, we've been together all approaching a year, if not. Uh, so given what you know, 
Sorry, you guys always ask one of the questions. If you had one week to write up the contract, how long do you project that this engagement would last? And, and, and if you could further break that down, how long to get through phase one, phase two, phase three? Is this a five year, a three year, an 18 month? If you had one week to write up the contract, but knowing what you know now, what, what, what do you see that would be? All right. I, I'll, sorry, sorry. No, that, that is a great question. I, when, when, we, when we understood the strategic plan was being finalized and it was built on a five-year trajectory, knowing the aspirations that you have outlined in that strategic plan, we have built the phases assuming a five-year uh, phase approach, a five-year model. You to have, parallel our strategic to plan. To parallel your strategic plan. You have a, a very lofty set of aspirations around quality of care, experience of care, staff position engagement that will take time to not only develop but to achieve those outcomes and so we 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 have been thoughtful in mirroring that five-year plan with a five-year partnership that breaks down into those phases to your second question around timing of phases um, there's not going to be a hard and fast we've checked all of the boxes in phase one so we're prepared to move into phase two some of it will will move forward into phase two, some will continue to develop. So for instance, as we think of cascading objective goals from the True North scorecard, uh, that will be a cyclical process that will improve over time. So we can certainly say after three to four months that we've cascaded goals to leaders, they're writing action plans associated with each of those goals. However, the next year we'll come back next, the beginning of the next fiscal year, we'll come back and we'll repeat that same process again, which would be uh, part of phase one still, but maybe also moving into phase two a little bit. So it, there's not always a hard and fast check the box that we've completed all the tasks in phase one. It will be uh, partly an arc yeah. in understanding that we have momentum and the timing is right. Leaders are asking for that next uh, level of education and skill development. So let's it's kind of like base some of that decision-making on where the organization is. Okay, got it, that makes sense. Three phases, 60 months, so roughly a year and a half, 20 months per ballpark, right? I like math. Okay, um, trustees, more questions? Come on. Mark, uh, I had a question for you. So when we have spoken about like the best schedule, like 10 or 12 or some kind of metrics, that are these going to be kind of combined with those? It's interesting you mentioned this. Um, we talked a little bit this morning with Aaron, and we're going to be scheduling some time next week to talk about. I wanted this meeting to occur first to get the feedback from our board on it, but the intent is to try to consider how this initiative fits in with the best initiative, mm -hmm. and whether we rebrand it or don't rebrand it, or you know how it all fits together. Because we have the strategic plan, we have the best initiative, and now we have this. We really need to bring them together under some like one umbrella right. in some fashion, and we intend to do that and bring it back to you at some point. If, if I may, sir, um, I actually brought this to the executive team earlier in the week, and so we walked through this presentation. And Tangerine, I hope you don't mind. That was one of Tangerine's points was that we should create connectivity between the best initiative and this piece of work that we're now contemplating. And so I thought that was a wonderful um, point to make, and so thank you. Uh, Trustee Benji for bringing that up, and that's certainly something that we would look to do. Thank you. 
In follow-up, you know, I got a million of them. In follow-up to a uh, trustee Banerjee, how, again, if you had to forecast, how low do you think you would go and, and not low on personality? Low on the orange chart, do you think you would forecast going? Are we talking about unit directors? I think this was trustee Banerjee's question. How, how deep are we going into the organization on these on these skill sets? I have a response. I'd like to hear from here on, but you know, there's different initiatives involved here. So yeah. if we look at the initiative of tier puddles mm -hmm. and connecting all of us to the True North metrics, that goes all the way down to our staff, Frontline. all the way down to the front line, meeting daily in puddles, looking at the metric. I mean, it, it really does. And, that also holds accountability, expectations, and everything else. So I think some, my, my hope is that almost everything we do trickles down in some fashion, directly or indirectly, to our line staff. That's the only way we're going to make progress with engagement. Okay. Here on our guests, I won't ask this offensive question of them. I'll ask it of our COO. How much? How much money? Well, we um, in terms of orders of magnitude. Um, I, I, I know say, I know we're in a contract. I would say over five. Years. I have a fiduciary responsibility to yeah, ask. I would say some, over five years, somewhere between seven and eight million. Okay. Seven point four, seven point five, somewhere there. Got it. That's in addition to what we've already agreed to. Yeah, because this is a whole different uh, engagement related to the data, right? It's right. Studio. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So just yes. just a little more than a million a year. Yes, sir. Ms. President. So I just wanted to follow up on the, the five-year timeline. Um, you know, one of the things I suspect is uh, working with any firm is how you develop a competency of the organization to do this work over time. And so do you feel over the five-year period you're providing the same level of support or is it tapering off so that at the end of the five years, you know, our leadership is at a point where, sort of like therapy, at some point, you know. Yeah. Well, don't think that at some well, point that's a therapist. But actually, from a intensity manpower yes. perspective, I hear on it's a lot of it's front loaded. You come on strong in the, front the foundational races, they get the resources in there, and then it trickles down level and stays consistent for the rest of the time period. Because, it, like you said, it has to align with the foundational excellence that we are building. Some of this is really will determine how we do yeah. year three, like yeah. if we haven't done yeah. it. And this is unlike some of our best initiatives. You know, the resources are applied more upfront to, to understand, get the data. Put, you know, put the governance together, all of that, and then you back off a little bit. Mr. Jackson, any comments, sir? Well, I, I appreciate your question about the cost and the fiduciary. And so we've talked about um, out provisions and, you know, what we, so we're not locked for five years, if you will, um, if we feel like we have matured or that we're no longer getting the value that we want, there is a, a provision for us to um, terminate. Yeah, it'll be a milestone uh, contract, yeah, which makes perfect. I mean, they, mm -hmm. they might kill it and do it in three. Yeah. I think we need five, probably, but you know, I think so too. Sure. The price is bracing. You know, that number that Mark just shared is bracing it. I had a 
I had a visceral reaction when we first talked about it, but I do think that this is aspirational. It's a bit of a moonshot, and I, I have lived the Studer work, and so I know the value of it. I saw what it meant to the organization when we did it before. Um, I can't speak to why it was stopped, but I think that we're at a place now that if we truly want to be the best, um, this is the kind of investment that we need to make. And the other thing, I, I wish we could quantify some manner, but it's really hard. Um, you know, the turnover we're having is yeah. dollars, a yeah. lot of dollars. Yeah. Um, the quality we're having is costing us dollars. Imagine if we really reduce um, turnover or leapfrog pains with our quality and everything, the, the costs associated with being great are much less than what we're experiencing now. So I think I think we'll get it all back if we do it right. Yeah. Madam CFO, you're often the most conservative one in the room, thankfully. <laughs> Any comments? Well, I've had some um, experience with Studer and it, it, it was the outcomes were phenomenal. So I have this very positive uh, experience with Studer. It, it, it is a staggering amount of money, but it is five years and it is something that we need to do. So I'm still getting my head around it. Um, it was a great presentation today. Yes, yes ma'am. So, uh, uh, Trustee Banerjee has a question of Ms. Brigham. And where, yeah, that's where from your perspective, okay, okay, from your perspective, how do you, uh, like, what, what are some things, because, you know, we have Penny that's doing stuff, we have, you know, the DEI in each of these that are also building towards, like, a shift in culture, but not just in terms of operations, like, so bringing the operations, bringing the quality, bringing the people, like, you know, great sense of ownership and co-ownership and co-creation and belongingness that people feel invested in the success. So how, how are you seeing all these different things fit together? You know, you know it's why I asked the question actually at the ELT meeting yesterday, because I think that all of our efforts have some level of transformation. All of them have transformation. Either, you know, it's in the quality sphere, or it's in the operational sphere, and our goal is to ensure that they're not siloed, uh, and that you know we have the opportunity to take all of these and sort of plan around to what is our overall transformational direction. You know, and I do mean sort of direction, not a perspective, but what direction do we want, and how do each of these pieces fit and support, with understanding that you know the you know heavy work, as we've talked about in the strategic plan, will be one of sort of those overarching principles that guides a lot of our work. But I think we're going to have to sit and plan and think about it. I don't think we have that answer right now. So as we do it, oh, yeah. it will be in the doing of it that we will be connecting. Identifying the deliverables, the action, yeah. the timeline. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I think we're going to have to sit and that person because you know we do know that 
you know, teams drive us a lot of the time. And our goal is to expand the number of teams that we have driving the drugs. And I would say, you know, the work that uh, Michelle Sapio does in Lean will be critical to this. Um, or the work that Mark's team does in project management. I mean, we'll talk about how do we actually develop a project management culture within the organization so every project doesn't have to go to the EPMO office. You have the internal capacity. You have the internal capacity. capacity. Yeah. Yeah. And so even the leadership academy that we have, like some of these things will embed into those, I guess, I would think that. So this is not something separate for leaders, but like it will go through. Oh yeah, absolutely. We're actually working with the leadership academy right now on our data, uh, help do data literacy program. You know, Mr. Brown and I were having a discussion today after uh, the talk, and uh, we we're just kind of reviewing the history of Studer. And I, I've actually been sort of a fan of Studer myself uh, since about 2011. Some of Quinn Studer's books are on my bookshelf. And uh, we we're sort of talking about the history of uh, Huron's, um, uh, I don't know if it was an acquisition, but uh, how Studer came in under, the, under, under Huron. And uh, it's sort of a kind of funny discussion we've had about Huron's core. They, they were they're they're sort of like the, the the mechanics and the scientists for, for finance and, and like and and Studer's uh, forte was if you will the EQ of culture and the like. And we had this nice discussion about how you know we've had plenty of consultants in this history here who came in and said you know here's how a financial operation should run but we didn't have the EQ or the trust or the leadership in the organization to fully maximize on that. And for those of us who've been here for a long time, we've seen those efforts kind of fail. So I, I think this is sort of a, a wonderful concept in the sort of the yin and the yang, which are necessary to, to sort of put the pieces together. Huron's already come in. Best has achieved, uh, I, I, I think, all the deliverables, Mr. Bradsky, that they set forward in that. And uh, I think that's going to hit a max on what we can do without this stuff. And uh, so that's why this personally sort of the opportunity excites me and it's expensive, but it, I think we have to sort of, sort of consider, consider investing in ourselves, don't we, Mr. Bradsky? Yeah. And I mean, I'm saying a lot today, so we're no, utilizing the conversation here, but the other thing is a mindset, like I know as a trustees when we approved the strategic plan, <clears throat> One of the things that we what was very important to us was that we were what how do we have a mindset of population health management, not in a pilot here or a program there or the other, but everybody, because even our true not dashboard, true not metrics were very hospital-centric sometimes. We were not thinking population health. We are working towards that right now. So that culture shift. Has also has to be like you know rethinking ourselves from being very hospital centric to really thinking what how we stretching beyond the borders of a health system and thinking truly from the prevention and the continuum of care. Uh, everybody like yeah is is thinking that. I appreciate those comments. We often say when we start on this work that you should not think of this as a project or a program. This is truly the way you're transforming and the way you do things here, right? It's 
it's at the core very different. So I appreciate those comments as well. Um, I'm going to pose this question to our CEO and COO. Given the discussion which has just happened, do you feel like we need further venue for this as an agenda item on the October retreat? Can you make a proposal to the trustees? Or do you want us to do on it? Um, the information here would be the same. same. Yeah. Um, what might be different is how it's designed internally. Um, to Tangerine's, James is recognizing Tangerine earlier about how we design this and put it under best or part of best. I think that could be worthy just for information and understanding the board. Trustees, questions to you. Uh, would you want a version of this uh, uh, to, to explode the, the points that, uh, that Ms. Brigham helped us to come through? Uh, would, would you want a greater exploding out this discussion at the board retreat, maybe for 45 minutes, maybe an hour? Do you see value in that? Well, or do you have the data you need to make? There's, no, there, there's nothing for approval. Okay. This is not a decision for the board, so maybe it ultimately will be because this right. will come from contracts. Well, the other thing, um, sir, is that this will be referenced a lot in the future, right? At board meetings, yes. and I think to have clarity around what the internal structure around getting this all accomplished would look like would be important as it's discussed. Okay, there's that there would be that connection, there. yeah, instead of just one and done, yeah. keep the earn it here. I think that makes sense. Selfishly, because I was late, I would like to hear it. Then I will be done. <laughs> okay, so I think we'll, uh, to our to our Huron uh, colleagues, uh, I think we'll probably be agendizing this again on our Friday, October 14th. And maybe we can use this as a springboard. We'll probably have to start it over again, just so people remember, and then we can springboard a little bit further and maybe get not too weedish, but a little bit, you know, concepts about what might deliverables be, how do we go deep into the organization? How do we address, uh, you know, the, uh, the diversity within our organization and do all those elements of the rotunda? Does that sound acceptable to everyone? Yes. Thank you very much for coming to present. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Of course. So that, with that, we will close item H2. We're going to pull item H3, which is the True North dashboard. And the reason we're pulling it is it's, it, it's in there for public review in the packet. We actually haven't migrated to the HR committee yet for their approval. We want them to sort of give their shot. And then uh, Dr. Tornabene and the group can actually give the full presentation. So maybe we'll do this in October. Does that sound okay, Dr. Tornabene? So we just bought ourselves a little bit of time. That closes out item H. Item I is the board calendar and tracking. So uh, remember that we, uh, uh, the clerk of the board will remind us uh, what when this joint uh, meeting with the Board of Suits will be. My recollection was like October 2, but I couldn't remember if it was confirmed. It's on one of my kids' birthdays, either the 2nd or the 6th. I okay. just don't remember which one, I'm sorry. Yeah, the 6th is my wife, so I, I, I don't have to know about that one. Um, uh, so uh, we will have a joint meeting with our, with our, uh, our supervisors. We have this um, board retreat on Friday, October 14th in person. Uh, uh, and we're forecasting normal throughout the end of the year. I do have a question, which I'm just going to float without answer. Uh, uh, November has five Wednesdays in it. That uh, I made the mistake last year of putting a QPSC on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, and I got a lot of looks for that. So I'm wondering about. I fixed it this year. Thank you, ma'am. Sorry, you helped your chair. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, sir. 
the um, joint meeting is the fourth. Thank you. The joint oh, meeting I'm is so the fourth. sorry. Thank no, you. It's okay. Thank you, Mr. CEO. And then we're dark in December. Um, uh, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that where it is. So that's our item I board calendar and tracking. Item J staff reports. I, I know they're written reports and as submitted, but I really want to call out both of these uh, reports. Item J, J1 is the Chief Financial Officer report. And, and, and for those of you who don't read this stuff, you might be a little bit, oh, okay, but it's, it's actually, I guess I'm turning into a geek on this stuff. It's a super <laughs> exciting report. I think it's, it might be Ms. Miranda's favorite report that she's ever written. <laughs> it might be, because it's probably one of the best, uh, it's, it's one of the best end of year reports. I'm uh, sorry, it's the best end of year report we've ever had. So uh, please take a look at it, everybody. It's, it's a lot of thought and effort was I want to also call on item J2, the Public Affairs and Community Engagement Report by Alice Kinner, our Director of PACE. I, I think Alice is in the room. This, this, is, a, this is actually a, a very comprehensive and well-written report. I don't recall seeing one like this before. Um, it, was, it was just a great report. I ask everyone to, to take a look at it. It, it, it just uh, shows you the scope of what we're doing internally and externally. So it's a really, really good report. So everyone take a look at those. With that, we close out our open session agenda items. And Can I make one comment? Yes, ma'am, we have a comment. With regard to reports, I wanted to um, thank uh, East Bay Medical Group. The reports were very comprehensive and interesting. I'm not sure that, at least I haven't been noticing those types of reports. So I think for, the, for myself as a board member to see uh, all of the activities that East Bay Medical Group is is doing and all the accomplishments is really helpful. And I also want to thank um, the physicians of East Bay Medical Group for their work to to address the, the socially responsible investments of the organization. That was took some time, and um, I know that there were several physicians who were very involved in that, and it's it's so important. So thank you for that. Thank you, Trustee Trustees. Other tr trustees comments as we come to a close? Ron, I can't see anybody else. Uh, I don't any? see any. No, hands up. Hands. Okay, so uh, that closes the open session agenda items. Uh, council. Thank you, Chair Bouquet. The board will now go into closed session to consider those items stated on the agenda. We anticipate being closed for approximately 30 to 45 minutes. So um, please don't wait for us. Everyone have a great evening and uh, thank you very much.